Guys, we're going to jump in, and I'm going to start with a text in that came last Sunday. The person asked this question. Why is Joseph important in Jesus' lineage? If you know the Christmas story, you know that uh, Jesus was born of a virgin. Uh, Mary was impregnated by God. Joseph is his stepdad and kind of really gets shafted in the whole Christmas story, if you ask me. But why is he so important? Because he saved Jesus' life. He protected him. He got him into Egypt. He treated him as his own. He shielded him. He guarded Jesus, who despite being God, was vulnerable and human in every way. Not only that, he taught Jesus what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a follower of God, what it meant to be a Jew. I think he did something more than that. I think he taught Jesus what family actually meant and how family transcends bloodline. And there's some amazing insights into how God treats us in that. Not only that, um, as adopting Jesus, Jesus became of his line. And Joseph was of the line of Judah, one of those 12 tribes of Israel that was promised from whom the ruler of Israel would come. So Joseph is very significant in Jesus' lineage. And it leads to what we're talking about today. It leads to this, this, this story of Israel. What we're going to look at today is the story of Israel and, and what it has to do with Jesus and Christmas and, and believe it or not, with each of you. And, and off the bat, have you noticed this? Have, have you ever kind of taken a step back and noticed how immersed Christmas is in Israel? Let me show you a few things. Now, we're going to start by looking at some carols, okay? These are going to kind of progress easier to harder. Um, you may need to sing. That's okay. Um, sing them out if, if you need to get it. But what I want you to do is I'm going to show you the first line of a carol. I want you to give the corresponding line. Does that make sense? All right, so this, let's start with an easy one. O come, O come, Emmanuel. What's the next line? And ransom captive. Come, Emmanuel, and do what? Ransom us. Ransom who? Israel. Israel. Okay, try this one. The first Noel. I'm really sorry for that. The angels did say. You got it? You keep going. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, that was worse than what I did. All right, that's terrible. Okay? You get to this part. Noel, Noel. Noel, Noel. The king of who? You are way too pleased with yourself with carrying that pitch. Israel, right? Okay, let's go to the, the more obscure. Do you know this carol? Come along, expected Jesus. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I'm like 90% of you are like, what is that? Come along, expected Jesus, born to set your people free from our fears and sins. Yeah, nothing, huh? Just boom, crickets, crickets. All right, all right. Those of you coming out of deep liturgical backgrounds, you might know it. By your death on Calvary. Who knows it? 
Israel's strength and consolation. Okay, I know. Yeah, good way to go. Way to go. All right, rewards over there. It's a little bit more obtuse. I know, but, but are you seeing this? Even in the carols that people sing, or, or maybe in this case don't sing, <laughs> Christmas is immersed in the idea of Israel. And then you start taking the New Testament. You look at the Christmas story. It's recorded in two places in the Bible, Matthew chapter 1 through 2, Luke chapter 1 through 2, each giving their own account on, on, on the events that took place. And you look through, and man, if you step back and actually start looking for it, Israel just starts dripping from the storyline. It's eight days after Jesus is born. And there's this, this prophet who's been waiting in the temple of God, which is very Israel of him to begin with, right? And when he finally sees Jesus, he does what every mother loves. He goes up and grabs the newborn kid right from her arms. And, and, and it says he was waiting for what? The consolation of Israel. He sees Jesus he praises God, and what does he say about Jesus? Immersed in the Christmas story. My eyes have you seen your salvation, which you have prepared for the glory to your people, Israel. And you start unpacking it. You look at what the angel says to Zechariah, who's going to give, um, um, be, become the father of John the Baptist, who's going to lead the way. It's all in the Christmas story. He comes and says, many of the people of Israel Will Jesus' forerunners bring back to the Lord their God? You see Zechariah's response. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has come to redeem who? His people. You see the angel come to Mary. And he says things like, he has helped his servant, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his sons. Actually, that's what Mary is singing. Mary sings this in response to what? The angel coming to her and saying things like, God's going to give him the throne of his father David. He's going to rule over the house of Jacob. What are these terms? Synonyms for Israel. And this doesn't even start to add up all the other mentions in the carols and the story of other times when, when Israelite names are used, places are mentioned, prophecies are quoted. Israel is central to Christmas. So when the shepherds are out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and Linus comes on stage and says, Lo, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them and said this. It was absolutely immersed in Israel. Because who is this one to be born? A savior. Where? In Israel. He is what? Christ, in Israelite title, the Lord. You cannot understand the fullness and depth of Christmas without understanding Israel. This December, we've been looking at four stories, four, four key deep stories that, that weave themselves throughout the Old Testament that stand behind Jesus, Christmas, and what the entire New Testament is about. The first story is the story of creation, that, that God made this, this, this wonderful place in all its array, and he loves it. And the entire storyline of the Bible is God's rescue operation to redeem and restore this creation that has gone out of whack. 
Embedded within that is the story of humanity, the, the pinnacle of God's creation, the one that God invests within his creation to nurture, care, and protect the creation that he loves and through whom he plans to bring the restoration of creation about. But embedded within the story of humanity is another, a third story that weaves itself through the Bible. And this is the story of Israel. And this is what we're going to look at today. Because in many ways, the buck stops with Israel. Israel is where the action is at. Israel is the one to whom God revealed himself. So if you want to know God, look at what he showed and said to Israel. Israel is the one he chose to bless and attach his blessings too. So do you want to be blessed? Per the Bible, somehow that is going to to happen by your relation to Israel. And God is faithful. He's made promises to Israel, and they don't just disappear or go away because they seem outdated or antiquated or inconvenient anymore. So if you want to be where the action is at, knowing who God is, what he's up to, part of his plan, it comes through connection to Israel. Do you see why the story is so important? It kind of begs an important question. When you, when you talk about Israel, who are we actually talking about? Have you ever kind of heard that it's important to define your terms? Have you ever really wondered and thought about this? Who is Israel? Is it a race? Is it a religion? Is it a country of antiquity or maybe modern days? It's some kind of combination of all three. Today we're going to look at how the New Testament answers that question and how Israel's story becomes our story out of the Christmas story as well. Now it starts with a guy named Abram. You might know him as Abraham, but when God meets him, it's Abram. And in Genesis 12, God comes to this guy named Abram. And I, I, seriously, like, look at it in the Bible. Out of the clear blue, he just comes along and says this. I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, now don't lose sight of kind of the impact of this. When you read this in the storyline, it's, it's almost as random as like, imagine you're in Walmart, you're doing some last minute Christmas shopping, and God just shows up. God just comes to you and says, you know what? I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing. I, I, I'm going to watch your back. Whoever blesses you, I'm going to bless. Whoever curses you, I'm going to bless. You know what? What the heck? All peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. And it's like, man, I was just like trying to buy right? Stocking stuffers here today. What do you do when God comes out of the clear blue and lays that in your lap? This is the story of Abraham. And Israel finds their self-understanding, their roots, in this promise and blessing right here. Now, if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks and you're looking closely at this, you'll notice a lot of the things that God 
asked humanity to do, God is now saying Abraham will do. There's this back alley passage tucked in in the beginning of the Old Testament. If there's one of five passages to learn, it's this one. It's Genesis 1, and we looked at it last week. In verse 26, God comes to the pinnacle of his creation, humanity. And God says, let us make them in our image. In the image of God, let us create humanity. And let them rule. And he comes and he says, so God created them male and female. He created them in his likeness and image. And he says to them, fill the earth, multiply, be fruitful, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and all the creatures that move along the ground. In other words, be my presence, be my blessing, bring it to the ends of the earth. And humanity fails. I mean, Adam and Eve, they fail. Their kids fail. It goes on a downward spiral to the point where, where, where it, 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 it's, it's, it's nothing but just horror in the face of the world. Even the few holdouts, the few who are really trying to seek God and, and who the Bible will even call righteous, fail. Humanity fails in its mandate. So in Genesis 12, God comes up to this guy and he regroups. He says, all right, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you out of humanity to bring my blessing about to this creation that I am trying to redeem. This is foundational bedrock to the Bible and the story of Israel. And so what happens is that God starts to unpack this throughout the story of Genesis. And he starts to unpack it through Abraham's family. He takes this one man and his wife and through them and through their family tree starts to create this nation, this people that will be a blessing to the world. But there's something really interesting and significant and if you're not careful, you can just quite miss it. Family for Abraham and the family that God carries it through doesn't quite define itself the way most people think. Because family, have you noticed, is not always about bloodline. I have close blood relatives that I have little connection or relationship with. They're my family. But they're really not. You know what I mean? Can you identify with what I'm saying here today? On the other hand, there are people in my life who are not related by blood that are family. People who have come in by adoption. People who have come in by marriage. Or people that have just come in by close association. Do you have that person in your family circle who really... They're not related at all, but they've been such a lifelong friend. They've been so a part of everything that your family consists of that they are thought of as family themselves. And you see the same thing happening with Abraham. 
It's through his family that God starts to unpack this blessing. But not just blood relatives. Some blood relatives aren't part of it at all. And on the same token, there are others who aren't blood-related to Israel at all, to, to Abraham at all, that are called family. I think of when Israel is coming out of, out of Egypt, and they come through the Red Sea. And there's all these Egyptians that see it and say, we want to be a part of that too, and they go with them. I think of the story of Ruth, who has no blood relation to Israel at all, who becomes King David's grandmother and is essential to Jesus' family tree because family transcends bloodline. Are you with me? And God comes up to this family, and he picks them. And, he, and, he, and he, just, he picks them and he chooses to bless them. It kind of make, makes you ask, doesn't it? Why, why them? You, you ever kind of like, why does God do that for them and not me? Why God pick him and not me? What makes them so special? I'll give you the answer to that. Nothing. Nothing makes them so special. But sometimes God just chooses to bless certain people and to carry out his purposes. If you got an issue with that, Paul actually writes about this in his letter to the Romans, and he kind of answers it this way. He's like, who do you think you are to talk back to God? Can't he do what he wants with his own stuff. In theology, it's called election. The idea that God simply at times for his own purposes and his own delight chooses to select and bless for whatever purposes he, he seeks to bring. And in this case, for Abram and his family, the purpose was to be the saviors of the world. Now, the storyline of Abraham advances. Abraham has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, both blood-related, but Isaac is considered family as far as this is concerned, and Ishmael is not. Ishmael then has, or excuse me, Isaac then has two sons, Esau and Jacob, both blood-related, but Jacob is considered family and not Esau as far as this is concerned. And Jacob meets God one day, and he gets into a fight with him. You ever get into a fight with God? Read the story of Jacob. He did too. Jacob gets into a fight with him. God actually fight dirty, fights dirty. He dislocates his hip in the middle of the fight because that ain't, you know, hitting below the belt. And uh, Jacob holds on. They get done with the fight. Jacob won't let go. And God, this, this angel, God, he comes to him and he goes, you know, I'm renaming you. I'm renaming you, Jacob, Israel. You are now Israel, because all Israel means is one who fights with God. Is there no more apt description to what the people of God are like? And it's from Abraham's grandson that this thing we call Israel derives its name. Israel has 12 sons. 
They become the 12 tribes of Israel. So the nation of Israel as it grows is nothing more than one big family tree through 12 lines coming back to Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, promised this right here. And by the time you come to like that whole Exodus experience, you, you find out that, that, that Abraham and his couple of sons and couple of grandsons and, and this family of what, 70, has exploded to a family of millions. And God rescues them out of oppression in Egypt. He brings them to a mountain called Sinai, and he, he, he does something. He gives them a mission, and I want to show it to you right here. He says to them, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel, I chose your ancestor Abraham, and I said I'd make him great, and I said I'd bless the world through him. You are of that line. Obey me fully. Keep my command, and if you do, I will use you to do nothing less than save the world. A kingdom of priests, he calls them. You know what a priest actually is? I mean, not, not how you visualize it today, but what a priest actually is. I say priest, and you probably think of a guy in a suit with a little white tab, right? A minister in a Catholic church. But you know what priest actually means? Middleman, agent, go-between. Israel, you will be for me a kingdom of agents, a kingdom of middlemen, a kingdom of go-betweens to bring my blessing, my goodness, my presence, and the revelation of who I am to the world. And this is central to what Israel is about. The later prophet Isaiah, he'll kind of go off on this. He'll write about this. He'll say things like this. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, he says to Israel. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, he says to Israel, and a light for the Gentiles. Israel, I am doing nothing less but choosing you to save the world. Because as he said to Abraham once long ago, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all nations will be blessed through you. I like this, uh, this one spin that Paul, who we've been looking at in the New Testament, gives on this. He's kind of musing on Israel in his letter to this Roman church. And in it, he says this. What advantage is there of being a Jew? Uh, by, by the way, I, I didn't unpack this. Do you know where the word Jew comes from? Remember Jacob, renamed Israel, has 12 sons? One of them is named Judah. All right? Israel grows into a great kingdom in their history under King David and Solomon. But, but at a certain point in the Old Testament, they're whittled down to one tribe, the tribe of Judah. And in 587 B.C., they're kicked out 
overthrown, sent into exile. And as these, these, these Israelite immigrants spread to all the corners of the globe, going by their tribal name, people started calling the people from Judah simply Jews. Make sense? What advantage is there of being a Jew? Or what value in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. That God has shown what he's about and going to do through them. Remember, kingdom of priests, middlemen. The way I like to think about it is this. They're the mailmen. All right? You get your Christmas cards yet? Yeah? Or you get them in the mail? All right? You get your bills yet? From Citibank yet? In the mail? What is what are the Jews about delivering the news of who God is? But think about this. What would happen if there was some lonely mailman all alone at Christmas, didn't get a single card, and every day he's delivering thousands of these things and said to himself this, you know what? I want the blessing from me. I want cards too. And instead of delivering them, began to hoard all of your mail for himself. Now, if it's your credit card statements, maybe that is good news. But in every other way, see what's going on here? And the storyline of the Bible is this. Just as humanity failed, so Israel failed too. Because what the story of the Bible unfolds is that instead of, of taking their mission seriously to be God's agents and middlemen and therefore blessing and saviors of the world, they sought to hold on to that blessing for themselves instead and undermined their entire calling and everything God was trying to do. So where does that leave you if you're God? What do you do if you've set up a plan to bring about a salvation for the world and the very ones that you've invested that plan in have failed and betrayed? What do you do? Well, I know what I would do. I'd come up with a new plan. Here's the problem. God is faithful. And you can't get around this one. If God gives his word, he's going to keep it. That is, if he's God and has any sense of integrity whatsoever. So it's not like God can just wash these promises away. Because he has made a promise to save the world through Israel. So what is God to do? And look at how the New Testament opens. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Israel, the son of of Israel, 
What does God do? He becomes a human himself. He not only becomes a human himself, he becomes Israel itself, the truest form of Israel. Israel as it was called to be. Israel as it was meant to be. Israel, if you can say it this way, channeled and funneled and reduced and concentrated in a single human being. Jesus becomes Israel. And what the entire gospel account, not to mention the Christmas count, is about is how this little baby who is born is nothing less than Israel himself. You see it through the prophecies that the angels attach to him. Prophecies that, if you look closely in the Old Testament, are given to Israel. You see it through the names that Jesus takes, the, 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 the titles that he's called by, the very names and titles that in the Old Testament are given to Israel itself. Think about this. It's kind of a mind blow. What you see in Jesus' life is a replaying of Israel's history. Jesus is born and he's called the son of God. In Exodus chapter 4, God calls Israel his firstborn son. Jesus finds himself in danger. Abraham finds himself in the land of Canaan in famine, and they both have to flee to Egypt. While in Egypt, it starts getting tough, and God brings them out of Egypt. He brings Israel through the Red Sea and over the Jordan River. As he brings Jesus out of Egypt, he does what? Baptizes in the Jordan River. Israel spends 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus spends 40 days in that same wilderness. That must be coincidental. In that wilderness, God gives them the covenant, the Ten Commandments, the law at Sinai of what he's about. And you read in the Gospel of Matthew, after Jesus comes out of the wilderness, he starts giving the Sermon on the Mount. And it just keeps unpacking. That everything that God was seeking to do in Israel is now finally, finally being accomplished in Jesus for the, save, for the salvation of the world, that in Jesus, God is faithful. In Jesus, God keeps his word. In Jesus, Israel is fulfilled. Are you with me? Which has wild implications for you. Because now what does it mean to be a part of the family called Israel through whom God is going to do his work? Because if true Israel is Jesus, then a true Israelite is one who is in him. Which means what it means to be Israel is to be in Jesus. You might be here today. You might be German, Scandinavian, English, Irish. I know the two of you don't speak. Um, <laughs> Spanish, Chinese, Indian, African, or maybe Jewish, 
in the cultural racial sense of the term itself. If you are in Jesus, if you are in Israel, then you are Israel too. And all of God's promises to them suddenly become God's promises to you. Here is how Paul will put it. It is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are Abraham's offspring. And anyone who is in Christ gets that. Do you want to know God? Meet him. Discover his blessing, his plans and his purposes for you and for the world. The Christmas story says you won't find it in anyone better than Israel. Israel, that, 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 that child born in the manger, whom you can be a part of too. To close us up, I think it's worth saying this, 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 this passage that we've been looking at these past few weeks. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are, yes, in Christ. And something tells me that when Paul wrote that line, he meant the promises to Israel too. So Israel, I'd like to invite you to rise. You have a mission and a mandate from God to bring his goodness and blessing to this world. Jesus himself will call you a light of the world. Did you know that? The promises will call you a revelation to the Gentiles. A revelation by fact that you're here today that you have become a part of in one way or another. How you doing with that? Are you carrying out God's mandate to be a blessing to the world? Or are you fighting with God here today and living up to your name? Seeking to get that blessing for yourselves more than anything. Where are you at here today? I want to invite you to take a few moments this morning to come to God in the fullness of the calling he has given you to examine yourself and to confess to him any way that you have failed and fallen short as his people Israel. Let's pray.
and pray this with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Let's look at what that passage says one more time by Paul. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And one thing you see he promises Israel beginning to end is that no matter how far they stray, no matter how hard they fall, no matter how dark and corrupted and wicked they get, that God has nonetheless chosen them. And that God will honor that promise. God has chosen you. And you can trust him in that promise. You can trust his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. Whatever fear or doubt you come here with today, dare to trust that God is faithful. And give glory to him through your yes, your amen, your I believe.